Hello, Chelsea fans, and welcome, as always, to the Roman's Empire podcast, where all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else. So, after two matches versus Liverpool in the past week, the Blues displayed two very impressive outings against, let's be fair, a genuine title contender, thanks to the magic of one Eden Hazard. A win in the Carabao Cup at midweek and a draw at the bridge capped off an action-packed week. And here to discuss it with me is Roman Empire's own Sam Bagherzade. How are you, man? I'm good, Zach. Uh, I just got to let you know, we're not alone right now. We are not alone. We're not alone. That's, I, I was getting to that. Our, our next order of business, actually. There's someone watching with his, with his second cap on the pod, Andres <laughs> from the Star Spangled Blues podcast. How you doing, man? Uh, I'm excited, as always, to, to be a guest here on y'all's podcast and uh, as well to talk some Chelsea. Y'all's. I like that. I like a little yeah. southern flair. I love it. <laughs> yeah, we don't get that out here in LA. Hey, Texas. Texas uh, wasn't born in Texas, but I got here as fast as I could. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you picked up the right, vernacular pretty good. quick, huh? Uh, I mean, hope it's good for the people overseas that listen to our podcast because they only hear like our bougie LA accents, but. Now they get a taste of the South, so that's good. I'll throw yeah, they a, get a, um, a, a Venezuelan-born guy that moved to the U.S. at age 12. So, yeah, it's a, it's a nice little mix, huh? Oh, there we go. I'll throw in a couple of y'alls, too, just to even it out, you know? <laughs> it, doesn't sound, it doesn't sound the same coming from you, Sam. All right, y'all. Let's, let, let, maybe we should get into the first uh, Liverpool <laughs> match. You guys down? Are y'all down? <laughs> yes, sir. All Let's right. do it. So, uh First, the, we're going to go over the Carabao Cup match at Anfield. So, Chelsea 2, Liverpool 1. Um, surprising uh, how many how many starters we actually played. We Last week, we pretty much talked about how it's going to be the B team versus the B team. And both teams really fielded, uh, I mean, not their A squad, but a lot of important players. It's like um, a B-plus B plus squad. So yeah, B-plus. Um, and uh, the the one in particular that stood out the most, obviously, Eden Hazard, um, with one of the nicest goals I've ever seen. Perhaps his best goal ever. What do you guys think? Was that his best goal ever? Uh, yeah. I mean, two nutmegs, putting Moreno through the mixer, manhandling uh, Jordan Henderson, and smashing it into the back of the net. With the Chelsea fans right behind the goal as well. I mean, that's I don't think it gets much better than that. Oh, that was that was amazing. The way, and he had like no angle. I don't know what he's doing recently, where he likes to shoot from like the corner of the six where the keeper's supposed to stop it. But that's not an easy shot. By far his best goal to date. I think I think the only goal or the only two goals that come to mind that rival that are, is the one against Arsenal at the bridge where he put Koscielny on his ass and made him do a pirouette. Mm-hmm. That was or, or it was Coughlin on his ass. Yep, yep. And then he made Koscielny do the pirouette. And then the other goal was the one that won uh, Leicester the Premier League title. Just because it was against the Spurs made it uh, even so much sweeter. Oh yeah, it was a beautiful goal regardless. But I mean that was that one was just the best. And also Hands the timing down. of this goal too. I mean, we we just scored one right before that, and this one was to you know give us the lead and the eventual game winning goal. Um, and you know, it, Liverpool is a team that I mean, Klopp still has yet to win any silverware. So I mean, obviously Liverpool has been a great team since he's taken over, but I really do think that lack of silverware is really you know just the one thing that's that's haunting him a little bit. 
And mm-hmm. I do think that they really tried to win this match. And the fact that we were able to come out of it with a win was incredible. I mean, Eden Hazard made his impact immediately. Um, and, you know, he, he's without him, we're just a completely different team. Um, and it's, it's, it's just amazing how much better we get once he steps on the pitch. Um, wow. So so he was an upgrade to Victor Moses on the right wing. <laughs> a slight upgrade. Slight <laughs> upgrade. I mean, Victor Moses, he, he, he puts in some hard work, but... Uh, Eden Hazard is a little bit better. <laughs> yep. Um, Cesc Fabregas, I want to get into him a little bit because he had he had a really nice match too. Um, ninety out of ninety nine passes completed for ninety one percent completion rate. Uh, two key passes, five tackles, three clearances, two interceptions. Um, obviously, he ran the show in the first half and put us on front uh, on the front foot really early. So, um, Andreas, I'm gonna ask you, how do you feel about him in this new role? Uh, I thought he looked ready to go. I thought he was just excited to get some game time after that unlucky injury earlier this season. Uh, I think personally, I'd rather him not play the full 90, but if he can give us a solid 60 and then get subbed out in this kind of role, I'm I'm all for it. He's a little bit more direct than Jorginho usually is. So um, a little bit of Sesk is a, is a good thing for Chelsea. Yeah, I mean, I I completely agree with that. I think I think it just highlights how how much quality he has in his game to come back from an injury, jump right into the starting eleven and impact a game against a really good Liverpool side. Uh, right off the bat, is it's so impressive, and it's just I feel like we're blessed in the midfield this season because we have such depth, and the fact that we could bring the fact that we could have a guy like Cesc Fabregas with his passing ability playing as a backup. Uh, in a number six role is just incredible. I, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing how he develops as the season goes on. Um, at L Dirty Dan on Twitter, he has a, a follow-up question kind of related to this. Um, he asked us on Twitter, um, what did you guys think of Sari inverting our midfield triangle midweek with Fab and Kovacic as pseudo double pivot? Uh, both have the ability to recycle possession, but are lacking in pressing and work rate. Um, Zach, what do you what do you think about that? I think you have to play a double double pivot with uh, Fabregas at the six. Uh, he just he's not mobile enough to play there by himself. Jorginho is not the most mobile person ever, but he can cover at times. Um, but yeah, I mean, I thought Kovacic did really well working next to him. You know, those are two guys that are really good at playing those one touch passes and, and finding those quick seams uh, in the midfield just to kind of break the lines and and get us and transition us into the attack. So together they worked really well. Um, Kovacic is the more interesting one for me because, you know, in our normal starting 11, he kind of plays as our most creative midfielder. He plays highest up the pitch out of the three. Um, but in this game, he was playing a, a true number eight role. And I just think he's more, uh, he, he's more of a natural number eight for me, at least because he could play both sides of the ball. Um, and we saw it. I mean, he, he did protect Fabregas. I mean, you read off Fabregas's defensive numbers, five tackles, was it three clearances, two interceptions. That's I mean, those are good numbers on its own, but a lot of that has to do with, you know, Fabregas taking those chances to cut off passing lanes and depress because he trusts Kovacic to have his cover behind him. Yeah, no, I want to just mention that he mentioned that both of them were lacking pressing and work rate. I think that's a little bit unfair to Kovacic. I think he was probably one of our best players in both the matchups against Liverpool, but protecting Sesk has to be a priority if he's going to be playing in this system. So whether it's Kovacic doing that or Conte, whichever one of those midfielders in the midfield three that Sari decides to keep in the cup competition will for sure be uh, a little bit more defensively aware just because Sesk is on the pitch. And I think uh, 
Kovacic's, Kovacic's pace really helps out too um, with this role. Um, I want to get into Emerson Palmieri. Um, he got his first goal um, this match off a Ross Barkley header that was saved by Migsy. Um He was also very tidy defensively. Five clearances, one interception, three aerials, one. Um, it seems at this point the Chelsea fan base is pretty divided on Emerson uh, towards the end of last season. Um, but right now, I think the tune is changing a little bit, leaning towards liking him. Um, Andreas, what do you think? You think he's a serviceable player? Yeah, I think I think he offers something a little bit different than Alonzo. I think Emerson is much more comfortable with the ball at his feet. Um, I think he can dribble himself out of tight situations, which is a little different than Alonzo. I see Alonzo as the guy that makes the run off the ball, and that's how he kind of gets in the box and gets his goals. So uh, I think he adds a different dimension. I still think Alonzo is is a better player, but it doesn't mean that Emerson isn't a good backup for these type of games. I, I, I feel comfortable with him playing whenever the time comes. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, you're talking about an Italian international. This is a guy that gets called up regularly to the uh, Italian national team. So, you know, having that kind of guy as cover again, I mean, very similarly to Sesk. I mean, we have a quality left back replacement, whether, uh, you know, the Twitter warriors think so or not. Um, I thought he had a decent match. There was times where he looked suspect defensively. Um, but at the same time, I mean, we were playing Liverpool and, uh, you know, once Mane got switched to his side, um, he, he did, he did get into a little bit of trouble, but I mean, getting his first goal at Anfield in a cut match, um, it it has to be a big moment for him and hopefully he could build on this. Um, you know, a lot of it hinges on his health because he does seem to get injured quite often. Um, but you know, if he could stay healthy and he could keep uh, getting these cut matches here and there, maybe a couple Europa League matches, I have no problem uh, eventually trusting him in the Premier League when when squad rotation is going to be crucial. And yeah, that goal celebration yeah. was awesome. The the guy definitely wanted that. The guy obviously enjoys being at Chelsea. He he celebrated like he's been here for years, which I found pretty good from a guy that's barely gotten play time since he came in in January. So uh, glad that he got the goal. Glad that he can kind of work his way into more of a rotation spot. And yeah, I'm I'm, I'm okay with him being Alonso's backup. That that's that's fine with me. I mean, I think the importance of squad depth. I mean, is was made very clearly and very evident in the second leg. I mean, not second leg, but um, the the league matchup against Liverpool with uh, our lack of depth at the wing. We really struggled there. But um, let's just finish off this first match. Um, just want to talk about the other squad players um, quickly. Zach, uh, what are your thoughts on Ross Barkley's performance? Well, Ross Barkley's an interesting one because uh, a lot of people were disappointed after his appearance uh, at the weekend. But midweek, I thought he was—I thought he was all right. Um, he wasn't really a standout for me. Uh, at times, he looked uh, really sharp. He looked like he was uh, attacking with intent. But for me, he just seems to dwindle out of matches. Maybe it's due to fitness. Um, maybe he can't play the full 90. Maybe he can't play at that intensity. I still trust him. I I have no doubt that he's eventually going to come good. He almost got his goal this match. It seems like every match he's getting closer and closer to finally getting that goal. I mean, against West Ham, he had that ridiculous shot that Fabianski saved. Um, and in this one, you know, his header eventually led to Emerson's goal. So his goal's coming. And and once it happens, you know, it's just going to propel him to the next level and, you know, we'll, we'll start to see the Ross Barkley of old. He almost got it over the weekend. Um, he had the one strike that went just top right, far, a little, just far, a little, barely over the post, but I mean, barely over the crossbar. But 
I thought he, that was going in for sure. That That's the kind of shot that he can take. And there's not a lot of people on Chelsea who can take that shot. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's something in his game that uh, the, the team needs right now. You know, we need a goal-scoring midfielder desperately. Um, and I think it showed at the weekend that, you know, if the goals aren't coming from Hazard or Pedro, where are they coming from? So once Ross Barkley gets going, um, you know, maybe we could look forward to better results in the future. Um, okay, so the, my next point, Victor Moses. Uh, he's getting a lot of playing time, and we haven't seen any Callum Hudson-Odoi. Um, Andreas, wh- what do you think? you think Callum Hudson-Odoi should get some playing time, or Victor Moses should still get in above him? Uh, I definitely think Callum Hudson-Odoi needs to get on the pitch. My take is, you know, we have we gave Ampadu a chance a couple times last season. He's proven he can handle the big boys. I think Hudson-Odoi deserves the same chance, especially with Moses being – a 29-year-old going into his 30s, like into his 30s winger who doesn't score. So why not test the 17-year-old who you want to sign a long-term contract by giving him these kind of minutes? I, if you want to invest in him and you want him to invest back to Chelsea, you have to show him that you can trust him. You know, Victor Moses is a weird one because I remember texting you guys in the group chat right when the game started. You know, he started out really well. He was running at Moreno like like a madman and, and put him in the mixer a couple of times, but you know, it's just that final ball that he completely lacks. I mean, he, he can't pick out a cross and he can't score goals. So if we're, if we're going to play someone at the right wing, he has to be able to do one of those things. And for me, Victor Moses can't do that. I think he could be useful as a defensive sub, maybe late in some premier league games, throw him on the pitch, tell him track their track, their left back or track their right back, make sure they don't get in behind. But other than that, I mean, Callum Hudson-Odoi, I mean, he proved it in the preseason. Everybody's high up on this kid, and it's just completely crazy to me how he hasn't gotten any playing time yet. You know, it's and give him a chance. Note, and, sorry, oh. side, side note, he played right wing for the developmental squad this weekend, so he can definitely play on the right side. Just just thought out there. Yeah, I mean, it, it, he, he, could, he could play across the front three, and – he see, he is more versatile than Victor Moses as well, so it's just it, it's kind of confusing how he hasn't gotten into the squad yet. Give him his chance. If he doesn't prove himself, if he doesn't hit the ground running, then you have an excuse to play Victor Moses over him. I just think Sari prefers those more experienced players, um, and and he prefers international players too. I mean, don't forget Victor Moses is an international player, um, but you know, hopefully we'll get to see Hudson Odoi at midweek. I think it'll be a tragedy if we don't. And the thing about Victor Moses is, I mean, he's been on the squad for five plus years. I mean, on loan for some time in between, but we we know exactly what Victor Moses is. We've seen him play for so long, so we know exactly what he can provide. So just as as a fan, you know, from a fan standpoint, I want to see what Callum Hudson Odoi can do because we haven't seen much of him. Like I know exactly who Victor Moses is, what he can provide. Um, I just want to see something different. Um, the last player I want to talk about talk about is Andreas Christensen. Um, seeming seemingly had a lot of flashbacks to his, the Barcelona match last uh, last season. Uh, gave away a really silly back pass that Sturge should have put in. Um, had a couple other really silly passes. Um, Zach, what do you think? You think his problem is mental, or it's just down to a lack of experience? And there is no lack of experience. I mean, he has, he, has, he has Champions League experience at Gladbach. He has Champions League experience with Chelsea. For me, it's this all falls on Antonio Conte. Um, last season, you know, th- those two mistakes against Barcelona, 
what that does mentally to a young player, it, you can't stress enough. And the fact that Conte kept playing him game after game after that, what he should have done is pulling him out of uh, the firing line, sitting him on the bench saying, hey, look, take a couple games off, recollect yourself, get fit again, and we'll gradually put you back into the squad because he is good enough. But just that falling out with David Luiz last year really screwed us because it left us no choice but to play Andreas Christensen over and over and over, even when he was uh, even when he was lacking any sort of form whatsoever. Um, he'll come good eventually, you know. He's a, he's a quality player, and and after that mistake, he really tidied himself up. Besides that, I can't really think of anything else that he did wrong that match. His distribution was great. Uh, defensively, he's he, he's pretty good one one v one. Um, he didn't get beat much, but uh, you know it, it's it's all mental for him, and and it shows. You know, um, the more he plays, the, the you know it's a matter of him playing himself out of it first of all, uh, just like any professional soccer player. But um, I I do like how Sari's slowly integrating him, but he also has that little love triangle with uh, David Luiz, doesn't he? After the quotes this week, seems like they have a little <laughs> bromance going on, uh, David Luiz and Sari. Yeah, for sure. I think, honestly, had that mistake led to a goal, my point of this would be a totally different. But overall, I thought he had an amazing game. Apparently, he pulled a Michael Jordan Game 6 flu game on this one. He had, like, a stomach bug or something like that. He came off in the 60th because he, like, couldn't stop throwing up or something along those lines. But I thought him and Cahill did very well in that game. Yes, he had the bad mistake, and hopefully he can grow from this because silly mistakes are the only thing, like, keeping him from hitting that next level but yeah i i do think sorry's slowly trusting christensen a little bit more and and hopefully he can get those kind of little mistakes out of his head if, if david luis can get those out of his head under sorry why can't christensen yeah and i think if he let that goal in or i mean sorry if sturge scored that i think we instead of calling it the flu game we call it the poo game because that was how bad it was almost oh almost, God, almost huh? as bad as that joke that is that wow. is a dad joke right there. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so let's uh, let's uh, totally ignore that just happened and move on to uh, <laughs> the weekend matchup against Liverpool. Um, this is also a game that I tried to remove from my memory. Um, that uh, Daniel Sturridge goal at the end. Um, I mean, if it, if it weren't for that goal, Eden Hazard's goal would have been the goal of the week. But I mean. It's just it just is the Chelsea curse for our old felt players. like a loss, didn't it? It did absolutely. I mean, when you when when you're up and they ended up drawing it in the 89th minute or 88th minute, um, it's it's heartbreaking, and especially to come from a player who I used to love so much when he was on Chelsea, um, it hurts. It's it just it just double hurts. Um, I I want to talk a little bit about Sari's approach. Um, and specifically our defensive shape. So Giroud, um, Zach, actually, you, you want do you want to you want to go into it a little bit because I think you'd be able to explain it better. Yeah, I mean, uh, when we were at the pub watching this game, I remember mentioning to you it was interesting how Giroud dropped into the midfield while Hazard stayed up top. Um, you know, when Liverpool was pressing us, or when Liverpool was in possession, excuse me. Um, but but once they once they broke our initial press. We had to settle into some defensive shape, and I thought it was interesting. It's the first time we saw all season that all 11 players were behind the ball. Um, this is old-school Chelsea, if you will, um, a.k.a. last year and the year before and the year before that and every <laughs> year before that. Um, but, yeah, I, I, just thought, I just thought it was interesting that Sarri 
was so willing to give Liverpool that much respect right off the bat. Um, obviously, we came out firing first in that in the in the Liverpool match over the weekend. But um, as the game went on, you know, we we settled into our defensive. Shape. We actually looked pretty solid at times. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a uh, it was just really interesting to see how he acclimated to higher level opposition because obviously this was the toughest game that we played to date. So um, you know, I'm curious to see how. We'll approach games against Man City, how we'll approach games against Spurs or Arsenal in the future. Um, not so much Man United right now, but, um, <laughs> you know, it, my thing is, is this the best approach defensively in big matches? Because, you know, obviously Sarri's game is defense with possession, but when we don't have the ball, we like to press and press high and win the ball in the opposition's thir- third. So, Andres, I mean, in big matches, is this something that you would uh, that you'd like to see more often? Um, I think it's... A solution for now. I think Sari is still trying to implement his system to the point where he doesn't have to change his approach game to game. Like he he thinks that he's got the solution with his tactics. But for now, I think it is pretty good. Uh, I read somewhere that this was the lowest average position or furthest behind position that both Alonzo and Aspie had in a match yet under Sari. But I thought both of them did very well defensively. I, everyone always talks about Marcus Alonso putting out good defensive performances, and I thought he was fantastic on the left side. Um, if anything, the one that didn't play as well was Aspie. But for now, I think this will be the approach. Um, I know, what is it, like three weeks down the road we have Man City, something along those lines, but or three games down the road. But I think next year maybe late in the season we won't be adapting to other people and we'll be actually forcing others to adapt to us a lot of people freaking out on twitter about the way we played uh this game and you know let me just stress to you we're seven we're well technically what nine games in if you count the europa league and carabao cup the the season just started and let me stress it again i said we said it last week this is a work in progress so you know obviously playing it safe in a match like this i'm not against it um I've said it before. I'm, I'm a purist. You know, I, I say you win games by playing well defensively first. Um, and in this match, I thought we did that. Um, but, you know, I, I know we're going to go into the midfield soon, so I don't want to get too far ahead. But And um, we also could have scored more than one goal. I think both ways this goal game could have been 3-3, could have been 3-1 Chelsea, could have been 2-0 Chelsea. So even with the defensiveness, if we were just in clin- – like we've said in the last episode, we were just a little bit more clinical in front of goal, we wouldn't have tied this game. We could have won it 2-1. Yeah. God, I miss Pedro. And I mean, just <laughs> and the funny thing is, one of the players who wasn't that clinical was Eden Hazard. I mean, he had a he had one chance that was just straight into the goalie, straight into the keeper, and um, he could have put that it, away it, normally. It, to be fair, it was a good save. It was, it was a, a great, great kick save. save by Allison. Um, if that's Mignolet, he probably slips on his way to sticking his leg out, mm-hmm. um, and Hazard dribbles around him and pokes it in. But I mean, you can't blame Hazard because he had two shots. He scored one of them. Um, you know, he, he was, he was, he was great throughout the match. The problem is we just, we didn't have any other attacking threat besides Hazard and he seemed to be our only outlet. And we seemed, we were just very, very one dimensional in the attack in that game. And that's the thing that bothered me. Um, the flicks were coming off for Giroud in the first half, Liverpool, uh, shut him down later on. They literally put Henderson right in front of him. And then later on when he came off, they put Milner right in front of Giroud just to not allow that entry pass. Because if you could eliminate that entry pass of Olivier Giroud, it just makes that it makes it that much harder for Eden Hazard to find room to score. Yeah, I might have been a little bit uh, harsh when I said that he wasn't clinical. I mean, given that first goal, I mean, it was so nice. I jumped up 
off the table and I spilled my beer all over you, right, Zach? <laughs> yeah, you did spill your beer all over me at the pub. It was uh, well delightful. Worth it. it was well worth Loved it. it. Yeah, <laughs> breakfast, breakfast beers. <laughs> yeah, nothing's better than a 9 a.m. beer. Uh, you, as Zach uh, foreshadowed earlier, let's let's talk a little bit about the midfield. So overall, overall, my opinion, I think this was our best performance from our midfield players, at least offensively. Um, just let's let's I want to start off with Kovacic. Um, beautiful lead up to that. Um, Eden Hazard goal, but it couldn't just that the, the service from Kovacic setting him up for that opening goal. That was an amazing pass. Um, Kovacic, he was, uh, he was, he completed 39 out of 40 passes. He had three tackles, two clearances. He, he seems to always make good use of the ball when uh, it's played to his feet. Um, Andres, you think he's our best midfield player at this moment? I have a um, crush on Kovacic's style of play, so I'm very biased to say he is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think he's just the most complete out of the three players. Um, I think Conte and Jorginho are specialists, but I think Kovacic is the only one we have that can literally slot into each of the three midfield spots based on what Sari wants each midfielder to do. Um, I think he's just, he's got this kind of like pit bull, like Vidal way of like, fighting but he also can be like smooth with his passes as well so he has a little bit of both he's not just a, a fighter he's also got like that silky ball like that he played this hazard i think he was our man of the match this game even though hazard was the one to score i i just thought he was great pressing liverpool and and making their supposed amazing midfield three look average yeah, it's it makes it that much more impressive when Kovacic played a majority of the match midweek in a completely different role and still played and, and played even better this time around. Um, but yeah, I mean, Andres, you highlighted it. You know, the other two midfielders, I mean, Conte is that defensive specialist and Jorginho's. I mean, he's just there to keep the clock ticking, isn't he? Kovacic could do a little bit of everything. And that goes back to my point I said earlier, where he just seems to me to be a more natural number eight where he can track back defensively, but he could also pick out a pass. And he could also dribble out of pressure, which, we, which we've been seeing a lot of recently. No doubt he's our best midfield player at the moment. He has to play every big game that we're in. Um, the scary thing is he, he's here on loan. And it scares me to death. Um, because Florentino Perez... I have seen the Instagram posts. Um, <laughs> but but, but I'm, I'm saying financially, if he keeps this up, um, financially, we might have trouble competing with other big clubs that are in for center midfielders. I mean, we know PSG is looking for one, and Kovacic fits that mold perfectly. Um, Real Madrid's always uh, Real Madrid's always going to be willing to take a player back and 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 eat their words if he if he performs. Just look what happened with Mariano. Um, you know, it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens at the end of the season. I think that's priority number one is getting Kovacic. I think it's more important than getting a striker. Um, Kovacic has potential to be world-class, and that's not something that we've seen out of Loftus-Cheek or Barkley, even though we talk about how high their ceiling is. But Kovacic just has that that air about him where you get the sense that this guy could really be something special if he gets regular playing time and stays healthy. I'm very hopeful that at the end of it all, he will stay. I think we might have to pay a little bit extra, but to think about it from the Madrid perspective, Lopetegui loves his Spanish players. He loves He was the youth coach for the national team so they have a plethora of young talent in the bench from Spain in that team already Modric, Kroos and Casemiro are going nowhere so I think Kovacic makes his case to like 
stay, like force a move out, just like Courtois moved, forced a move out of Chelsea. I don't see why players can't force a move to stay or go to Chelsea. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because he he has been playing Danny Ceballos um, off the bench as like their first sub. Um, and yeah, you know, he he does like his Spanish players, but it's it just worries me. I mean, you look you look at PSG and the money that they have. They need a midfield player. Rabiot is gone at the end of the year. I would be shocked if uh, if PSG didn't go in hard for him after the season ended. They could um, go in for Pogba. He wants out of Man U. Don't take uh, our guys. <laughs> please, please stay, Mourinho. Turn it around. Come on. What are you doing? But yeah, I mean, it's it'll be interesting to see what happens. I hope we keep him. I think him, uh, Conte, and Jorginho, like we said last week, that that midfield three right there could be one of the best in Europe um, if, if they get time together. Um, and I'm talking more than one season. So, if, if I'm Chelsea, I secure this signing in January. Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- yeah, that's a good shout. I mean, I wouldn't be opposed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Zach, I think I think the key to us really being the best midfield in the world, I mean, if not England, but in the world, is uh, N'Golo Conte continuing to develop in this new ro- uh, new role, and he's really growing in. He's really growing into this role defensively, and it really did show this match. But um, as far as possession wise. He, he still looks fragile, like giving the ball away, you know, slowing down the speed of play, stuff like that. Um, I think, like, you know, in big games like this, uh, he should be used as a secondary pivot player to Jorginho you know, when sitting behind the ball. Um, Zach, you think there's there's more to be desired from N'Golo Conte? He will come good eventually. It's, it's just a matter of time, guys. I mean, defensively, we saw uh, th- this was his best game defensively, hands down. I mean, he was all over the place covering uh, – Covering the wide positions when you know we we we'd lose the ball higher up the pitch. He was just he was fantastic all around, and you know I I think it's a good springboard for the rest of his game because I think if he could string together a good a, a couple good games defensively, he'll start realizing uh, where the space is on the field offensively. Um, because now you know he gets the defensive side out of the way and solely focuses on okay what do I need to do to get myself into better positions to score or create. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, he's world class. It's a matter of time, and that's honestly all I got to say about it. There's not much else, you know. It's N'Golo Conte. It is a World Cup winner. This is a Premier League champion, two-time Premier League champion. You know, he's gonna come good. It's it's just a matter of time. I I actually thought he had a fantastic game. I think these are the games where N'Golo Conte gets to flex his muscles, kind of thing. I think he lives for these games where teams want to attack us. I think that's when he gets to really show his talent. I mean, for once, he never runs out of energy. He's, I mean, everyone was talking, oh, Keita, Keita. He didn't do crap when he came on to the pitch. Like, I I thought N'Golo was great. Um, I think he'll grow his attacking. Like, what he needs to do is continue to put these amazing defensive performances when we play teams like Liverpool and City. And then whenever we play, like, a Cardiff who's sitting back the whole time is where he needs to take advantage of the space he's given there to, to improve that offensive side. That way, when a mid-table side or, or a, a team that's neither doing too much attacking or defending, he can kind of just play the full spectrum of that box-to-box role. But I, I thought he did fantastic, aside from one mistake, which I'll touch upon when we discuss the Sturridge goal. Uh, Andres, earlier you you said how it felt like a loss for us. I bet mm-hmm. Liverpool fans, it, it felt like a loss to them. I mean, if it weren't for David Luiz and Rudiger... Um, they had two goal line saves between the two of them. Um, you know, if, if they if they didn't stop those, this would be completely completely different match. 
Um, I think the two of them together it was probably their best match together. Um, Easily, and, and I, you know, it's it, it's hard to keep up with the pace of the Liverpool front three, but you know, it, for that's for any any center back duo. But they looked really comfortable together. Um, and it's funny because at the beginning of the season, uh, this this duo like scared me and Zach. I mean, we were we were terrified. Like, add me to that the, list. The two, yeah, the two of them together. It just it just seemed like a recipe for disaster. But of course, trust in trust in Sari. Um, he made these two work together. Um, you know, we're still. I mean, we're still conceding chances, but the danger seems to be from a lack of cover more more out wide. Um, Andreas, what do you, what do you, what do you think was different with our two center backs this game? I I don't know if it's just being comfortable with the system or really knowing what was expected out of this game from them. I think the big thing that I want to highlight is Firmino's role in this game defensively was to get Jorginho out of his game as I don't know if for you guys and the listeners, I mean, we haven't talked about him for in the podcast today and there's a reason for that. He didn't really do much. And so Luis and Rudiger, their passing skill was so important in this game because we were able to kind of skip the Jorginho step of possession but I also thought that their aggressiveness on the ball and, and not giving up on any play was huge. They were just they had that like you're not going to get through me mentality more than, oh, I can take you on. It's like you're going to have to take me on three times if you're going to get through me. So I just thought they had the right mindset playing this offensive team, but also in reverse in possession, they were extremely important to what we wanted to do, uh, to do with the ball. I, as a fan of the uh, of the old school style of defending and like, you know, I mean, maybe this is a center back in me, but they were just completely no bullshit in this game. Anything that was semi dangerous was hooked into the, you know, 30th row of of the West Upper. I mean, it was it was uh, it was fantastic. David Luiz dominated in the air. Everything that came out of him, um, he, he batted away. Rudiger our best defender, um, hands down. But, you know, just one thing on David Luiz, he is a big game player. And as much crap as we give him for having one mental lapse every few games, he he does show up in the big games. And if your memory is kind of spotty, the 2012 Champions League final, when we had the two most error-prone center backs ever, uh, according to all the haters um, in, in Cahill and Luiz. But, you know, this is just... This is just a, a marquee performance by him, and this is why Sari chose him. Um, you know, he kind of proved everybody wrong. And Andres, you touched on it. They they took Jorginho out of the game, and a big reason why we were still able to possess and and, and we were still able to uh, to transition forward was because David Luiz was stepping into that. It was stepping a little bit higher into the midfield and collecting the ball and just you know spraying it out wide and finding open passes. He he had one absolute dime to Willian. Uh, in the first half, where it might have been a 70-yard diagonal ball right to Williams' mm-hmm. laces, and it was just like beautiful. Sam, I mean, you were there with me. I just kind of like I kind of shivered when I saw that. It was just it was so nice. Um, but yeah, it, a good, very good, uh, solid performance from both of them. And you know, the danger did come from out wide. I thought Aspie got rinsed uh, a few times, and me and Sam were talking about it at the pub. Um, Aspi is a little bit thicker than he used to be because he has been playing center backs the past two years. So, um, you know, maybe uh, in next summer or um, at some point this season, he, he starts to consider that and 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 maybe uh, 
slimmed down a bit. You know, he's not fat. He's not overweight. He's just too muscular for me right now. And he doesn't really have that first step like he used to when he was playing out on the left. Um, but yeah, I mean, other than that, defensively, we were great. Um, you know, the two goal line clearances just highlighted that that's not luck. That's good defending. Um, you know, Liverpool's a great team. You're not going to give them one or two shots on goal all game. Um, they're a high volume team and, and they're going to shoot. And we just did a great job of stopping them for, you know, most of the game. And I think the one goal that they did score, Sturridge's goal, just one thing I want to say about it. There's absolutely nothing you could do. I saw some people slating Keppa on on uh, Twitter afterwards. And where the fuck does that come from? It's a it's a perfectly it's a perfectly hit ball. That's a ball that we all dream of hitting. Yeah, I mean, what and what more is Keppa supposed to do? He had it, he had the whole net covered pretty much, except for that he one did. small corner. Yeah, that's the thing. Has nobody watched this in slow-mo and saw Keppa had that shit covered? It was just a – he literally had to hit that ball perfectly to score, and he did. And, you know, credit to Sturridge. Um, but it's still it, – it's just absolutely ridiculous to me considering how well Keppa played this whole game. Um, yeah. I, the thing that bothered me most was the comparisons. Like, oh, Courtois would have saved that. Oh, for one, yeah, yeah, for no one, that way. was a perfect shot. And also, if Courtois saved that, I bet you $100 that he doesn't save the low shot from Mane mm-hmm. that was, like, completely, like, shot low on the ground. Like, he's, Courtois can't reach those, and Kepa had, like, cat-like reflexes to get that one out. So Yeah, that's a great point. Courtois, Courtois is terrible. Courtois is terrible when, when, when it's on a low shot. I mean, just look at Messi, megged him twice mm-hmm. from and, ridiculous right. angles. And the other thing, it was just last year, Henderson scored that same shot on Courtois. So people can take a step back and really look at it. That goal was going in on any keeper in the Prem. So. I mean, this is non-biased. I'm curious to see what you guys think. I thought Sturge's goal was way more impressive than the Henderson. I mean, the Henderson one was a worldie. Don't get me wrong. But I feel like if anything could have been done on either of the two shots, I think it's Henderson's shot. Right. Is right. that is is that, that far fetched? No, I mean, where do you guys stand? I mean, it's it's a more savable shot because I mean, I think just the fact that the third shot was pretty much unsavable. You're you're right. I mean, the this the the goal from last season, Henderson's was. I mean, obviously. Yeah, like you said, it was another worldy. But Sturridge's shot was just an unsavable rocket. Uh, it yeah. it sh- it shows that, that that we defended well. Look what it took to 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 get a mm-hmm. result. Right. It, it, it took. If a, I want to play, if I want to play devil's advocate, Conte might have been a little slow to get to him. But I mean, like mm-hmm. you guys said, that that was a perfect shot. If if we if Barkley doesn't lose the ball five seconds beforehand, that shot doesn't happen. But those are all if 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 like that was just a perfect shot. Give Sturridge that shot twelve more times. He doesn't even hit the target. I don't even think. Uh, Sturridge, I don't even think Sturridge scores that shot in the past three years. I just think it's his recent run of form, the amount of confidence that he has now. I think he's averaging a goal every 40-something minutes, if I'm not mistaken, um, as a super sub. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, that just – it just shows. I mean, you have a player of that quality, yeah, you can't give him space. But at the same time, Sturridge got that ball out out in front of him really fast. Um, and he set himself up in a split second. So even if Conte did step to it, I don't know if he gets a tip. I don't know if he gets a deflection even. But yeah, I mean, 
I I, I do want to move on. I, I'm I'm like I'm holding myself back talking about Kepa. Because but Andres, just... Andres, also earlier you said that you had something you wanted to say about Jorginho when we started talking about that that goal. Did you want Did you want to bring that up or? Oh, it wasn't Jorginho. It was it was Conte. Like oh, I okay. said, the the nearest player to Sturge was Conte, and it just That's seemed right. like that was the one time that Conte didn't think let me close him down. So like I said, it I, it's just a one time thing. I don't think Conte makes that mistake ever again and again a perfect shot there's no defense for a perfect shot right all right let's let's move on to keppa so i think we, this was the first time we finally got to see keppa truly tested um came up with three massive saves i was very impressed um i mean his most impressive save was that one on mane that you talked about um so i mean from the limited amount of games that we saw so far zach i know you were dying to to give your take on it, what do you think, Zach? What, 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 how do you, where do you stand with Keppa? He's he's a great keeper. I, I know we haven't seen much of him, but what we have seen from him, um, at his age, his his potential is ridiculous. I mean, his his reflex on that Mane save, the the fact that he got down quick enough um, from a shot that came from what the the corner of the six. Um, it's just ridiculous. You know, he, he kept us in the game. Um, that Sturridge goal, obviously nothing he could do about it, but it's not just the saves that impress me. He's very good in possession. And everybody likes to talk about uh, Emerson or, or sorry, Ederson and, uh, and, and Allison and, you know, all these ball playing goalkeepers and how good they are with their feet. The Jordan Pickfords of the world, you know, not a lot of people talk about Kepa. And even though we haven't seen much of him, he hasn't made any crucial errors in possession yet he hasn't he's he's so calm on the ball he receives it he knows exactly what he's going to do with it it's the first time that I've ever watched Chelsea and felt comfortable with the keeper uh with the keeper basically playing on the ball um you know we haven't seen that with Peter Cech we're seeing it now with Arsenal he just can't um Thibaut Courtois was you know basically pigeon-toed you know he he, he he couldn't hit the broadside of a barn door with a soccer ball you know it's but but Kepa just he's so confident on the ball now he's making saves I really think he's growing into the keeper role and something that nobody has talked about yet he does command his area more than Courtois does vocally um he, you always see him pointing out and organizing um Courtois the only time he really ever saw him yelling was after he made a save and yelling at his you know two center backs in front of him what the hell are you guys doing you know Kepa's <laughs> there he's organizing plays on set pieces he's setting up the wall really fast and then he's even going through each person inside of the box making sure everybody's marked repositioning defenders it's just a great thing to see I think he has leadership quality it's something we haven't had in a keeper since Peter Cech I don't know why the fuck people hate on him um, but yeah, I mean, I, that, that's the basically the tag. end of my rant. It's the price just, tag. If you didn't have not just a price tag. I think it's, here's the difference. We're not getting shot at from like, we're not playing a low block defense, which means we're not t- getting shots that are easier saves to stat pad. And yeah, Courtois had great numbers because our defense wasn't pressuring people. They were having time to shoot. He got to make some easier saves. Like that's pretty much it. I, I do want to touch on one thing and, and a factor that, that, Kepa does bring is that quick counter from a punt my god he had a punt that goes to the left corner of the opposite pitch where only Hazard could have gotten there and that was the prettiest punt I've ever seen like a Chelsea keeper ever make um that was fantastic and I was I looked into it a little bit more and it turns out that Kepa is actually has the 
most completed long balls in the Premier in the Premier League. Yeah, more than, more so than Allison. So the guy is balling just because he doesn't see 15 shots and blocks 13 doesn't mean he's not doing his job. Just think about it. Neuer sees three shots. He just has to stop the three. That's what Kepa's there for. If if we're giving up shots, we're not doing something right on the pitch. Yeah. I mean, it's such a cliche phrase, and I hate it, but it's it's so true. He's He really is the modern keeper, um, the way he's able to pass the ball. I mean, he had a couple just just uh, passes pretty much. I mean, I don't know how to, what to call them off of goal kicks um, all the way to one of our wingers. I mean, just perfect dimes setting up the attack. And, I mean, it's it's, it's amazing the kind of stuff that he can do with his feet. I think I think something that's interesting is that, you know, starting from our number one in goal all the way to our number nine, all of our players could pick out a pass, a pretty pass. Um, it, it's it's interesting because you know usually we play with, you know, six natural old school defenders, you know, in, in years past, and you know one elite passer in Cesc Fabregas next to a Matic or something like that. You know, it's. All 11 players on the pitch could pick out a dime. And it's so – it's refreshing to see as a Chelsea fan. You know, we talked shit about that tiki-taka nonsense multiple times last year, Psalm. And now we are – we're pinging the ball around. We're doing exactly that, and we seem to fall in love with it. So I'm I'm here. I'm admitting my hypocrisy. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's – I mean, fuck it. It looks good, and, and it is good. I mean, we, we're still undefeated. Um, we, we still haven't lost a premier league game. It's, it's something people don't realize much. And I just like, it's just annoying. You know, I, I work our Twitter handle. If you can't tell, cause I bring up Twitter every five seconds, but it's just fucking annoying how much crap some of our players get for misplacing a single pass hey, or hey, losing the ball once. Who knows if, if Conte doesn't start picking it up, we can put, we can see Kepa as a midfielder, right? <laughs> we can work them in, in the midfield. Kept at midfield and Alonso at striker. Problem hey. solved. <laughs> yeah, they'll be playing their pure positions, their natural positions. So uh, <laughs> let's let's get into Eden Hazard. Um, uh, if it wasn't for um, Kovacic, he would be the man of the match. The Prince of Stamford Bridge strikes again. The big bottom Belgian. Um, not much Som. else. Yeah, Sam's obsessed with his bottom. By the way, <laughs> yeah, uh, he his, showed me. He wall? showed me. He pulled up a picture. <laughs> He's thick. Yeah, he's super thick. I know. I have this, this picture saved, so, like from like a training video, and I'm like, Zach, look at this screenshot. Look how fat his ass is. Honestly, like it's crazy. <laughs> and I'm, I might make that my wallpaper. Not gonna lie. Um. So I mean, back back to the back to his play. I mean, I know we can talk about his ass all day, but um, you know, there's not much not much left to say about his performance besides the fact that you know he was a standout player on the pitch. You know, there's a lot of talk about him being the most informed player in all of Europe. Andreas, you think there's any truth to this? Yes, easily. The The guy is, is unplayable right now. And I think overall, yes, there's still Messi and Ronaldo above him. But if you're just taking the, the sample of what's happened so far in Europe, across Europe, he's easily the best player out there. Um, yeah, I... I, I don't know of anyone that started the season as influential as Hazard's been, and he didn't even start the first two games of the Premier League campaign. So, I, I mean, Zari had, has this, like, live countdown of how many goals till Eden gets to 40, and and the more he 
I don't know if he'll get to 40, but the more he's pl- he plays this way, the more realistic that seems. You know, something interesting that I saw um, on the stat sheet, he only had one dribble completed in this game um, compared to last season where he was racking up six or seven dribbles a game. I think it's I think we're seeing the evolution of Hazard um, from being a striker to or from being a winger to a, stri- a, a pure striker. You know, he's, he's playing off the ball a lot more. He's looking to get in behind um, as opposed to tucking in and coming in short to play the ball to feet. Um, we saw that evolution with a ton of guys. If you guys can't think of any off the top of your head, Cristiano Ronaldo started out as a winger, pure striker right now. Edinson Cavani, same thing. When he was at Napoli, he was a winger. And now he's one of the best strikers in Europe. Um, so, you know, all these guys that I just mentioned became ruthless and became elite by tucking in and by playing as a number nine, if you will. Um, and I think we're starting to see that with Hazard. I think he's, I think we're going to, I think he's being more mercurial in front of net. You know, he, he when he smells blood, he's going to take it. Um, and thank God he's doing that because that was the only thing missing from his game. And it all ties back to the question. He is the most informed player in Europe. Um, he's unplayable right now. Nobody could defend him. Nobody could track his runs. Um, people know he's going to play a backheel flick every single time he gets the ball to feet, but somehow nobody could stop him. Um, best player in Europe right now by far. Um, let's hope he continues as the season goes on because as we get into the deeper stages of the Europa League um, and as we get around Christmas time, that's usually when he has a little dip in form. So uh, if he could get through that, there's no doubt he'll win the golden boot. He might even be a Ballon d'Or candidate, but mm-hmm. I, I don't think that's far-fetched at all Zach, if he keeps it up. I love I love your use of the word mercurial. I think that that's the word of the day for sure. Just every day our vocabulary is just getting so much better. Um, yeah, I've been reading a lot of books. <laughs> He's getting ready for the PSAT. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I want to talk a little bit about our subs. So um, 65th minute, Murata comes in for Giroud. Uh, 73rd minute, Moses comes in for William. Um, and in the in the 81st minute, Ross Barkley comes in for Kovacic. Um, I think all all three of them struggled to produce. Um, the lack of impact from our bench is, is, is seem, starting to get a little bit concerning. Um, Zach, do you think this is going to be a, a problem moving forward? Or do you think it's going to sort itself out? Um. You know, obviously we missed Pedro. I thought that was a big one because Huge instead of bringing loss. on Moses, you bring on Willian, who's notorious for impacting the game off the bench. It's probably the one of the best super subs in the Premier League, if not Europe. Um, but yeah, I mean, if we had Pedro in this game, I thought it would have helped out a lot. Victor Moses just shouldn't play in league matches, um, especially when we're chasing a game. You know, he, he doesn't cross well. We talked about it. He doesn't score. Um, th- there has to be another option within the squad. Callum Hudson-Odoi is the perfect option. Um, and, and, and Murata just a little bit more of nothing. Uh, he had more energy, but, uh, that's about it. I, I really, I thought that today's subs were just uninspiring. Uh, their performance were just actually just usually I expect a little bit more from Barkley. I just thought he was a mess in this game. Sorry, Sam. Like I, I, nothing he did today worked for, or that day worked for me. I can't argue with that. (laughs) I can't argue with that. But. But Victor Moses and Morata, and even Morata, like those guys came off the bench, and my my thought was just like, okay, great, all right, how how long till this clock runs out? Like we talked about it earlier, Victor Moses is zero end product, and I mean zero unless he's inside the six yard box, he's not scoring, 
And Morata, well, we're still trying to figure out what he does score. So, yeah, I I think this was the chance to play a Callum Hudson and Adoy who's hungry, who's energetic, who is direct. Obviously, he Gold played threat. earlier. Right. Yeah. He played earlier in the developmental team, but that guy shouldn't even be there anymore. He should be in this bench, not Moses. So, yes, Pedro was a huge miss, like you guys said. Like, Pedro could have started and William could have come off the bench. But the more... I don't see how Sari can confidently say in a press conference that he's comfortable with his two striking positions unless we're we're looking at that false nine sometime soon because, yeah, Morata coming in, I, unless he starts scoring, I, I just don't I just don't see it being a positive sub anymore. Like, unless we have a lead, like, I don't want him to come on. I actually pointed out to Sam right when Murata came in, about a minute or two passed, and I looked at Sam. I'm like, wow, Murata looks energetic. And Sam's like, oh, yeah, yeah, he does. And then about 30 seconds later, he was on his ass complaining to the ref oh again. Oh, my God. And it's just like – it's just this recurring theme of a bunch of nothingness, and you hit the nail on the head. When Victor Moses came on, I looked at the clock just like you did, and I was like, all right, we're not going to score again. Let's see how much time is left. <laughs> you know, it's it, it's just – it's – it's sad that that a team with so much quality, you know, even in the youth ranks, we, we mentioned Hudson Adoy and how he's a goal threat. It, let's use it. Let's harness some of that. Um, you know, it, it just has to be this old school mindset that Sari still has where he's like, oh, I'd rather play this experienced 29 year old where I know exactly what I'm going to get out of him as opposed to a 17 year old, you know, that. I don't have anything bad to say about Hudson Adoy, but obviously, you know, with youth, there's that lack of trust. You just you don't know how they perform on the big stage, and I think it's a shame that 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 Hudson Adoy went this long, um, this far into the season without us even getting a glimpse of what he could do in the senior squad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think it's a Chelsea. It's it's Chelsea's track record with managers puts that fear in them that like you have zero room to mess up, and I think that sadly hurts that academy because. That's a great point. Yeah. Because the moment that a manager makes that decision, they're like, well, why the hell did you not play the experienced guy who's been here for five seasons, who has played in the Champions League, who has played here, who has played there? It's like these 17-year-old players are being – like the international sides are looking at them for higher qualifications. Like Hudson Adoy is going to be playing with the U23s and he's 17. Like Ampadu plays for the senior side. Like these guys – have the talent they're getting notice from scouts like the international sides like there's a reason they should be played but i think the the abramovich axe is just heavy and it's scary and until sorry is a little bit more in like a coasting which i mean he's still undefeated we've touched up on that he's it's not he's doing poorly but i just think coaches are still afraid of that uh you know making that initial mistake uh, you know, Andres, I love having you on. You you have a really good, fresh perspective that I would have never thought of it that way. But that you're absolutely right, 100 percent right. I mean, it, 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 he you get he gets crushed from the fans from not playing young players. But if he were to play young players, he get crushed by the ownership, by the board. So I guess there's just no winning with that. Um, I mean, do you guys have any final thoughts on this match? Uh it was a weird one. I mean, it could have gone either way. We we easily could have lost 3-1 or we could have won 3-1. Um, is 1-1 a good result? No, considering the fact that, you know, we were up 1-0 for 87 minutes. Um, I, I have a hard time coming to grips with the fact that we still drew. But um, for Liverpool, it's, it's, it's definitely, it probably feels like a win. 
Uh, I know it feels like a win to their fans because they've been, you know, spamming Twitter and just being ridiculous about a fucking draw. If you're going to be a, a a title contender, you don't go, you know, bragging about a fucking draw. So anyways, yeah, it's a weird one. I'm glad it's over. Now we could kind of chill because we have a, a, you know, pretty simple run of games games coming up before the city match. But yeah, I, I think it was – I felt like it was a loss because that goal just came so late and it just, like, drained all the energy. But at the end of the day, it was a fair result. I think Salah on a different get, get, uh, day scores at least one of those. Shakiri misses a, a a shot that any other player would have scored oh, on yeah. that pitch. Yeah, that was so, just sad. Yeah, I think I think it could have gone both ways. I think one one to one is the fair result, but obviously as a Chelsea fan, I'm it's a little demoralizing, like Zach said, after having the lead for so long. So, I, like I said, a, a week ago from today, we would have loved getting that one one result. It's funny how that late goal can just be like, ah, oh, damn, we were so close. You know, it's like guys, all the energy was sucked out of the room at the pub. It was just oh man, that, like this completely lifeless. Besides that one Liverpool fan that was there. <laughs> but, you know, it was just, uh, it was you like know, a, a collective fuck. The sad you know? thing was, you know, right before that, the whole pub was just going wild with chance. I was actually, ta- I took a video um, and <laughs> I was like, I, I took a video of the pub and then I zoomed into the score 1-0. And the time on the video was at 87 minutes, 30 seconds literally like a minute before the Sturridge goal I like I was literally posting it on my story like typing up the caption and I look up and Sturridge just rockets that in I'm like okay definitely not posting this anymore like <laughs> but so yeah. I, I guess I guess we'll I guess I'll, I'll take the blame for that on the by the way really quick shout out to the shout out to the LA Chelsea Blues and right. Sujin for having us like we finally made it out it's been forever um this is the first time me and Sam have actually ever went out to our chelsea, local chelsea chapter and it's been a long time coming i can't believe we have we, we we had a podcast for over a whole year and didn't meet our local chelsea chapter but if yeah, you're not good, a part of it you should totally join i mean you should check it out honestly it's total family environment cheap beers um and and everybody's so friendly to each other because it's just a bunch of chelsea fans and chelsea fans are the best so yeah they're having yeah, a sh- baby shower right it was a baby shower or something there. oh yeah they're they really are a family and they they accepted us like immediately so it was really nice nice environment uh, yeah it, it, it was fun um, a lot of fun so let's get into the next this next part um the team news twitter question speed round um so first one some mixed feelings from me Chelsea draw none other than Super Frank and uh, his Derby County in the next round of the Carabao Cup. What are your guys' thoughts? Uh, Andres said it before we recorded. I'm I, I'm gonna I'm gonna steal your line, but um, let's hope Chelsea aren't assholes and let Mason Mount and Tamori play. This is such a good opportunity for them to play at the Bridge. Um, it'll be it it'll be fun. I mean. This is like the one match where I won't be sad if we win or lose, and I'll be happy if the other team wins or loses. So, you know, it's a good chance for our youth to get a run, and I, I, I just, I just pray that that Mount and Tamori get a run out. I wouldn't take it as far as saying I'd be okay if we lost. I mean, I think Frank is going to get his a hero's welcome, but my thought on this is is simple: draws are rigged. 
there's not not anything else to it. Um, Champions League draws, this Carabao Cup draw, like, of course, of course we're going to draw Frank Lampard after he beat his former mentor in Mourinho. Like, this was written, like, they knew what were the possible outcomes of that match. Who could be the – like, this is this is obvious. Like, this is to get that big money, <laughs> big – like, I, I – Do you really think is, that a soccer government oh, body would be rigged? You really percent. Think about it. Come on. When does that ever happen? You don't say. Yeah. Think about it. Think about it. If men, if men, if men, you won, that means we would have played Liverpool in the first round of the Carabao Cup and Man U in the second round of the (laughs) Carabao Cup. Give me a break. There's no, there's no way that this wasn't rigged. I mean, it's just. Think about it. They wanted us to play Frank Lampard. They wanted to pin us against probably, in my opinion, our best player ever. Like this is. That's that's it's the so only obvious. game all the neutrals are gonna watch on that day. Like that's mm-hmm. the only game. It's the really. only matchup people are talking about for a reason. Like I don't know <laughs> yeah. any other matchup in it that's like coming up. I, I really don't. Yeah, yeah it, it, you know what the funny thing is? I think there's two uh championship sides that drew each other, and then everyone else is like a championship side and a Premier League side. So like you know, it's just or even two Premier League sides. It's just yeah, totally rigged. Not much of a speed round, but like it's it's totally rigged, man. <laughs> yeah, that that one that one deserved a little bit of a longer answer. Um, so there have been rumors of JT being recommended to the uh, coach the U23s by none other than Maurizio Sarri himself. Um, Andreas, let me get your thoughts on that. Yes, yes, yes. Get cool, the old huh? guard as our coaching staff. I'm all for this. Even while he was still playing under Conte, he was getting his like coaching license and he was taking classes like bring those guys home like that is so important you see it in other teams across Europe like Bayern is known for bringing their stars back and having a role in the team like if you have if you don't have that leadership in the locker room but you can bring those legends back and and be a presence I think that's just as important so I'm all for Terry coming back and and having some sort of role like Terry comes back at the U23 Five years down the line, him and Lampard can be kind of a head coach and then assistant. I this this is what dreams are made of. I think the only way it could get better is if we put Balak as our director of football and bring DDA Drogba back in some capacity. The, then then we'll have all my fel- wow. we'll, we'll have all my favorite Chelsea players of all time, you know, somehow integrated into the club. It makes sense. I mean, look what happened with Zidane. He coached the U twenty threes or 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 their development squad at Real Madrid. Eventually made his way into the first team. One three. I mean, I I don't have to go on. I mean, you guys know what he's accomplished as a coach. Um, but I total similarity with John Terry. If not, I probably feel more confident with John Terry as a coach than Zidane. And that's not just my bias as a Chelsea fan. Um, that's you know, I I just think John Terry would be a better coach for the youth, considering how involved these how involved he is. He watches every youth game. He's always posting on his Instagram of him watching the development squad. He keeps track of those players. Totally makes sense. Yeah, it's a a different approach. I mean, Terry wasn't the most athletic, most technique-based player. Like, the guy had to learn and study the game. And and even – I hate to use social media to prove a point, but even you can go to his his profile on Instagram, and he he posted late pictures of him with with drawings of of training drills and and tactics. And and the guy, he likes to study the game, and he's trying to do it the right way. He got his licenses. He's going to be doing it with the youth first, like he's not trying to jump into a first team, like 
be the Chelsea manager right away. He wants to get some sort of experience under his belt before even considering being a first team coach or manager. So I, I think this is a great first step for John Terry as a potential manager in the future. Man, Frank, JT, Drogba, and Michael Bollock. All we need is Demba Ba. It's like a wet dream. Yeah, all we need is Demba Ba, and we got all the, <laughs> the, the Chelsea greats. Pappy Jilaboji. Uh, <laughs> yeah, dude. Oh, man. Bring him in somehow. Um, so we got a Twitter question from at Nick Lenartson. Uh, how, super fan. Super fan. <laughs> super Nick fan Nick. He's always tweeting at us. This guy's awesome. Uh, uh, so he says, how long before we offload Murata? Who should Sari or Chelsea target instead? Zach, you want to take this over? It's the question of the century, and there's no solutions in January. Um, I think we'll stay patient and wait for this, you know, for the summertime to address the number nine position. I still think there's options in there. We talked about Pedro playing the false nine. Um, I'm, I'm I'm not worried about our goals now. I think I think we still have time to turn it around. Um, I, I I agree that there's no solution in January, especially with Mourinho probably not staying at Man U all the way till then. Because I was thinking maybe Martial could get the boot. And we could get him, and that would be a dream That'd at center perfect. forward. Yeah, he could do a, just a striker role, a false nine role. He's very flexible, but um, I think depending on what Morata and Giroud do from now until December, the possibility of Mishi returning early is out there. And I mentioned it to you guys before we start recording. I think it'll be more dependent on what the two guys we have at Chelsea currently would do versus what Mishi's doing at Valencia. So even if Mishi's bagging twenty-five goals there. If our guys are scoring, I don't think we pull him just yet. So uh, I don't think there's a solution between uh, in January outside of the club. But, I mean, I'm optimistic that the goals will come. All right, final Twitter question. And I'm pretty sure this question is directed to you, Andreas, um, from at Heisel Kaya. And he asks simply, is Kovacic God? <laughs> All I have to say to that is, does a bear shit in the woods? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I'm exaggerating, but I love Kovacic. I will that's, defend him that's with the most, my heart. That's the most Texas thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I was going to say it's pretty American, but yeah, it was very Texan. Kovacic hey, uh, right now can do no wrong for me. I think he's only getting better. I think Liverpool performance was his most confident yet. And I know he's try- he says he wants to add that offensive uh production to his game i think he can come good with that i already told you guys on my christmas wish list the kovacic third kid is on there if somebody doesn't give that to me i will disown my family so does your girlfriend uh, know you're the guest on today's pod oh yeah she listened to the last one she never listened to my own pod but she listened to roman's empire pod and (laughs) and she knows it's on the wish list so she yeah um, so uh yeah christmas coming up uh, in december so in case you're oh, listening, we, she's, a, she's got plenty of opportunities. Sarah, if you're listening to your anniversary in a week, <laughs> birthday, December 3rd, Christmas. Wow. You got uh, uh, clock is ticking. You got in a lot of opportunities. Don't blow it. OK, um, <laughs> so let's uh, let's get into these match previews. We're, we're, we're a little over an hour in already. So I think we're going to have to run through this pretty quickly, uh, which is OK, because we don't have too many uh, notable fixtures this upcoming week. So um First up, Europa League um, matchup against MOLVD um, at home. I was curious to see how you'd pronounce that one. VD, yeah, the Hungarian team. So, I mean, besides 
the fact that they're Hungarian, I really don't know anything about them. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, just I think the only point that we can talk about is rotation. Um, Andreas, do you think Sari will have learned his lesson in terms of rotation, or we're going to see more of the same? I think we'll rotate more. I thought Cahill had a great game. Christensen is fine now that his stomach is better, I hope. Emerson played fine. Uh, Zappa Costa has done okay. I mean, I, he hasn't done wrong by me. So I think the whole back line could. I don't know if he will, but that whole back line could get a switch. In the midfield, uh, Loftus-Cheek, man, I'm ready to see him play. I, I think now that he's, he, he should be play. back. I think he should be back by this week. And, uh, of course, I want to see Ampadu and, and Hudson-Odoi get at least 30 minutes. One of them has to start in my book. Uh, Sesk, Barkley. I, I really think we could play a totally different 11 for this game. We got the first three points. Obviously, we won't. But, I I mean, I think we have against this Vidi. I, I mean, I, I honestly never knew who they were before this. So, I think our B team can beat them. And I think individually, those players have all shown they can play in this system. Obviously, it's not going to be as smooth as our first team. But it doesn't have to be against Vidi. Yeah, I think Victor Moses could even score against these guys. It's, oh, I don't, I don't oh, want. Wow. To, he's the one guy I don't want to play. The disrespect, <laughs> Put Zach, the disrespect, Zach. Come on. <laughs> um, so, anything else you want to talk about that, or we're good? Uh, no, I he he hit the nail on the head. We, yeah. we have to rotate the squad. That's pretty much all there is to say about that game. I, I'm more intrigued by the Southampton game at the weekend. I it mm-hmm. could be it could be tricky. I think. Um, you know, we've won last, we've only lost, uh, one match in the last five over there. So, um, you know, history is on our side, but at the same time, Southampton's always proved to be a tricky team, kind of a bogey team for us. You know, if we don't show up and, and, you know, play well right from the start, it it could get ugly. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see. I'm, I hope we win. They're in horrible form. And, you know, when Danny Ings is your best player, there's not much to say about the rest of your team, really. And it's it could get tricky, but I I think we'll eventually pull it out. And could I just could I just give my prediction? Yeah, let's get into predictions now. I mean, there, there there's not much to say about Southampton. No disrespect, but, you know, Ryan Bertrand, shout out. But other than that, shout no out. one else. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I'm going to say – 4-0 Europa League. Um, I think they'll be worse than P- PAOK. And then uh, for the Southampton match, I'm going to say 2-0 Chelsea. Oh, 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 my bold prediction is the best part. Uh, I think Eden Hazard is going to score a double. Not that bold. He's, he's yes, in great form. Say, I, <laughs> I, I, I want to say 3-0 both games. Um, especially since I don't expect our main guys to play on the midweek. If they did, I'd say five. But yeah, 3-0 both games. And my bold prediction is that um, Hazard will assist more than he scores between Ooh. the two games. Ooh. I think that he's going to get the others involved. I think we'll see a first Giroud goal or a first Morata goal this weekend. You know what? I'm going to change my bold prediction. I think Keppa is going to have one key pass that leads up to a goal. Wow. There's there's my like bold. Prediction. I like that. I like that. Yeah, so yeah. Because I think it, I think it's something realistic. Southampton Southampton's just been leaking goals all season. Mm-hmm. So for for me, 
Uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna predict a, a four nil win against VD, and I'm also gonna predict a four nil win against Southampton. I think Ooh, uh, a shellacking. Right. I think that we're gonna definitely rebound against. Uh, it, it was it wasn't a rough week, but it, you know it, it was definitely a heartbreaker last week, and I think that um, I'm, I'm I have I have an, an exuberant amount of confidence in the squad now after you know coming coming off undefeated against Liverpool twice in the same week. Um, so I think we're both matches we win 4-0. Um, and I guess my bold prediction, uh, Kepa's going to play a midfielder in one of them. <laughs> we have wow. to see it at least once Why are you this taking season. this as a joke? This isn't a joke. What, my bold prediction has to be serious? <laughs> so my, my, my bold prediction of Chelsea poking out for, from uh, – What's his name's second eye is was well, that was that was okay. Firmino. Firmino's, Firmino. Yeah, Firmino's other eye that was that was that was serious. Okay. Uh serious. I think, yeah, one goal from our strikers. At, at least one goal from a striker. It's oh, a good shout. I mean I that, like that that's that, that I kind of stole Andreas, but I made it sound a little different. So <laughs> <laughs> Well, there we go. I mean, that's that pretty much wraps up today's episode. Again, I mean Shout out to the LA Chelsea Blues and Sujin over there. You guys are awesome. I mean, we, we also hung out a little bit with Dexter. He's a cool dude. Um, but, yeah, I mean, other than that, hopefully we get six points by the end of next week. And, uh, Andres, thanks for coming on again. I mean, I, I, we're probably going to get you on again next week if you're available. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's always a pleasure, man. We're, we're, we're always glad to have you. Thanks, guys. I really do appreciate it. Um, I to give you guys an update, I think I am going to move into the YouTube uh, realm and do things to, to keep the Star Spangled Blues going on my own. But, I'd, yeah, I'd love to be part of this podcast as much as, as you guys will have me. Dope. Sam, any last words? Um, Keppa and midfield, let's do it. <laughs> All right, guys. <laughs> this, is, this is just nonsense now. Um, we'll see you next week and keep the blue flag flying high.